Hey, hey, lovebirds. This is the For Richer or Poorer podcast. This is Jake. And I'm Jane. And we are going to be delving in the credit industry today. I am so excited because this industry, in my opinion, is so incredibly shady. If I had to name my top three most shady industries in our entire country, it would probably be human trafficking, prostitution, and then the credit industry. (laughs) And the reason I say that is because there is just so much information and so many things that go into how your credit score is actually made up and the different algorithms and everything revolving around it. And they really only give us a tiny bit of actual factual information that we as consumers can use to guide our actions. And so we have invited a guest, Miss Carly Cisna, to join us. She is a credit expert. She is also one of my fabulous co-workers who I admire so much to just talk about the credit industry, how your credit score is made up, what is the difference between a credit report and a credit score, and why the heck we should care, and what we can do to really play this game well. Uh, We don't have to just sit out and watch other people play it because we're scared of striking out or getting into debt or fill in whatever your fear is with debt and credit. Rather, let's learn how to play this game so it works to our advantage. Jake and I use our credit card every single month for nearly every single purchase possible and completely pay it off. We have never paid a single cent in interest on our credit card and we have a great score and we have used tons of points for our vacations, for redoing our daughter's room, for all the fun things. So buckle up, we are about to get into some exciting business with the shady industry. So Carly, welcome, we are so happy to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and why you chose to do this. Yeah, totally. Thank you both for having me. And it's really a pleasure to be a part of this and also to talk about something that I feel very passionate about. Um, To provide a little bit of background, um, I recently moved from uh, Denver, actually, to Albuquerque. So grew up in Boulder and then spent some time living in the Pacific Northwest during college And after college is when I moved to Denver and lived there for nine or 10 years and then then moved to Albuquerque just a few months ago. And so I'm in the midst of kind of continuing life in a new place. And so far, it's been a really good experience. Prior to starting my career as a financial coach counselor, um, and when I was in Denver, I worked in school operations for a public charter middle school for about four years. So that was kind of like where my career started. But then after that is when I then moved to financial coaching and counseling. Um, And so you might kind of be wondering, like, what is the connection there? And really the the connection for me was just I'm working for a public charter school. There was some a nonprofit aspect to it. And so I moved to another nonprofit. And the journey really began with Empowered, um, which is a nonprofit in Denver, So something that um, I haven't mentioned a whole ton on the podcast, but I think is incredibly important is the certification that both you and I hold as accredited financial counselor. You know, I mentioned before that there are so many voices in the finance world. So many people trying to tell you what to do and, you know, what's right. 
and all these separate industries that want you to be a consumer of their product and therefore the information put out can be skewed. And there's this cool little niche, this profession that not a ton of people know about, and that's financial counseling. Can you walk us through a little bit how we as financial counselors might be different from just those financial influencers that you might find on social media? Becoming an accredited financial counselor with Association for Financial Counseling and Planning Education, that that started when I was at Empowered. And um, I would say that the main difference is probably the training. And the biggest difference I see is, is that AFCs are client-centered. So there's there's really no reason for us to as AFCs like steer, steer you in the wrong direction. Um, it's really about you and your goals as a client. Yeah. Uh, I mean, right. And like the technical term fiduciary, I just think it's so fun. Yeah. I'm just like, say it right. Like fiduciary. And it really means like, you're just not going to be a douchey professional. <laughs> <laughs> Their best interest I was about to say, what is the definition of fiduciary? <laughs> Don't be a douche. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I feel fortunate that I was able to, um, that basically at the time, the nonprofit I was working for saw that as something that would be valuable for us to have. It's basically the gold standard of accreditations in the financial counseling field. And so I feel fortunate that I was able to, to get it and it was not easy to get the certification, but yeah, it's been, it's been a really great journey. And after getting the AFC certification, I had a more kind of recent training um, a few years ago with Credit Builders Alliance in DC. And that's where I became a master trainer for their credit as an asset program, um, which is really a train the trainer workshop that gives financial capability and nonprofit professionals the tools to create and sustain a credit building program. So I would say, you know, AFCP or AFC is really a certification where you're able to, you know, speak on all levels of personal finance. And then this master training really helped me, you know, just take a super deep dive into credit building. For sure. And, you know, one of the things that is a top priority for us, um, you know, not just in the podcast, but also in our social media is that I will not put on a professional (laughs) that I don't believe has the skills and knowledge in the industry and, um, you know, has people's best interest in mind. So we have these financial professionals who really care about their clients and aren't tied to that specific industry. You know, we have no gain, no added value in trying to get someone to sign up for a credit card or do a consolidation loan we can just put forth the facts. Um, and also we have that background and knowledge in the laws that are there to protect people and um, our rights as consumers rather than just an individualized experience. So I think yeah. that's, that's huge for sure. So yeah, let's definitely. hop into the credit world. Yes. And what is the difference? I, there's a lot of noise, like I said. Um, but when it comes to us trying to see our our credit profile, if you will, and what is being reported out there. What is the difference between a credit report and a credit score? Yeah, it's a great question because oftentimes we sort of lump the two together, but 
a credit report is a snapshot in time of your credit history. Credit reports are typically provided by the three major credit bureaus, and their names all sound weirdly similar but different, <laughs> Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. Um, and a credit score is a three-digit number that summarizes your risk as a consumer based on what's on your credit report. So the companies that provide credit scores are FICO and Vantage. FICO is still the scoring agency used by lenders in over 90% of lending decisions. So both are really like a credit report and a credit score are both very essential tools in helping consumers or us understand our credit profiles and both would be used in lending decisions. So why does it matter that we like know the difference? I think it's important to know the difference mainly because they're kind of two separate products. Of course, it wouldn't be possible to generate a credit score without having a credit report as your score is based on your credit report. But based on interactions I've had with my clients and my own experience prior to learning, there's an assumption that you can just, you automatically get your credit score when you get your credit report. And that's just not always the case. You know, credit is so confusing and so complicated. And when we understand and define the terms, it can make it a lot less confusing and help us have the right information to make decisions that benefit our financial goals. Yeah, absolutely. One other thing is there are so many myths out there on the internet of what credit means and what we need to do with our credit, how to how to help us. I've heard from friends and people I know that you really need to have a balance on that credit card to make sure that you're able to to keep it along and and keep a good credit. And is that a myth or is that truth? So, myth and this is really probably one of the most common myths I hear about credit from clients. The facts are your credit score is primarily based on payment history, 35%, and your utilization rate, 30%. So the most effective way to manage your credit card is to use it each month, keeping the balance below 30% or even less um, of the credit limit and pay it in full and on time each month. And so that's just gonna show consistent debt management and positive payment behavior, um, which will ultimately affect your score positively. So you do not have to pay interest to build credit. Very good to know. Yeah, so it's so funny because you and I get these questions all day, every day, and you're like, oh honey, like, no, no, no. (laughs) Let's, Let's take a sidestep and like, look at the things that really matter. Um, and so taking that sidestep, you mentioned 35% is based off of payment history. And normally when we look at something and someone can't pay all of their bills, they think that they have to pay their credit card first. Um, Mm. and it is the biggest score, but we also want to make sure that we're paying the things that have greater consequences, I guess you could say, like your mortgage and your car payment, because if you don't make that mortgage, they're going to take your house and you're going to be homeless. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas if you don't make your credit card payment, what's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah. It's um, not something I've heard of where a creditor from a credit card would come and try to take the stuff you bought with the credit card. (laughs) Whereas like you mentioned with the house, um, there's the possibility if you don't pay that foreclosure could happen. So 
So lots on the line there. Yeah, for sure. Yes, we want to make sure that we're taking care of that secured credit first. And then, of course, if we have the money, please make your freaking payments on time. Like, you know, put it on a calendar, put it on auto pay, do whatever the heck you need to do, but make your payments on time and pay them in full or get that balance to at least 30% or lower. Yes. Well, so talking about making payments on time, if I make a late payment, does that mean my credit is toast? Your credit score is probably toast for a little bit, but it's always, you can always recover. So I guess myth and fact. Ultimately, (laughs) payment history is really the single most important factor with your score. Like I mentioned, payment history makes up 35% of your score. So one missed payment can have like a really serious impact on your credit score. Really, the higher the starting score, the bigger the impact can be. I've heard that people that have you know, I would say scores between 680 and 760, if they miss just one payment, they can have as much of a 80 point drop on their score, Um, which can be, yeah, which can be actually really detrimental in a lot of ways. But I always want to preface that with, you can always recover. So let's say something happened, you just couldn't make the payment, like it's, it's not the end of the world. But I would say do everything in your power to not have a late payment because it is serious. It will seriously affect your score. Any late payments stay on your credit for seven years. So it's not something that you just pop back up from. It's something that takes time to build back from. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, With another one, so scenario, I've been trying to pay off this credit card for years and years and I finally pay it off. I should close it, right? It depends. Okay. Um, Thank you. Personal finance is personal. uh, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think there's a lot of people in the personal finance world that would say like, you never close a card. And I just, I just don't agree with that. I think closing the card, depending on how much payment history you have with that creditor could bring down your score slightly because 15% of your score, and I'm talking about FICO scores here, is based on length of time you have with that creditor. So it's good when you open an account to try to keep it open as long as possible um, so that you can show a relationship with that creditor. So really the longer, the better. However, 30% of your score, like I mentioned before, is based on the debt that you have. So if you've just paid off the balance, like you mentioned, Jake, and you're tempted to maybe use that card again and possibly even, you know, like overextend yourself by using more than what you're able to pay back, that could actually end up hurting your score more. So I would say it it depends. It depends on your spending habits, what kind of credit score you have at the time, and even your financial goals. Um, It may not make sense for you to keep a card open that has a $150 annual fee if you're not really using the card. Yeah, for sure. Um, I definitely want to cover fees. You reminded me here in a second. But when we talk about student loans really fast or really – Um, any of these installment loans where a lot of people, you know, they pay off their student loans, they're super excited. And, you know, it's a good thing, right? We're getting out of debt. But then we look at our score and it's gone down. Mm. That seems pretty rude. Why would they do that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, really, I mean, um, from my understanding, it's that relationship with that creditor that's ending. And so, you know, it applies the the length of credit history that you have 
applies to all of your accounts, not just your credit cards. It also applies to your installment loans, like student loans. Um, so yeah, sometimes you can have a little bit of a drop when your student loans maybe close. But I would say if you've been paying your student loans on time and you went from having you know, a large debt to now paying it off, you're probably going to see a gradual increase, more positive increase over that, that time that you've been paying it. And so that drop that happens at the end um, might be small and it's going to be something that doesn't last forever. For sure. You know my explanation? They're shady. Oh, tell me. They're shady. That's all I got. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) But let's chat real quick about shopping around when we make a big purchase. A lot of people say, you know, I don't want to shop around. I just want to go to the car dealership, let's say, and have them shop in different financing options for me because I've heard it hurts my score and I don't want to do that. What's all that about? In terms of your credit score, I would say myth. The facts are that your FICO credit score takes into account when you are rate shopping um, or basically like, you know, going to different places and seeing um, what interest rates you can get on the product you're shopping for. And so, yes, hard inquiries can affect your credit score, um, but FICO scoring takes rate shopping into account when calculating the effect of inquiries on your credit score. And so they really do this in two ways. Um, the type of loan that the consumer is shopping for. So that could be student loan, car loan, um, credit card, and the length of time over which inquiries occur. So two things, type of loan, length of time. Um, so multiple inquiries during a certain time period will often only count as one inquiry for loans that require rate shopping, such as mortgages, car loans, student loans. And I, on my FICO, uh, the website, it actually says that inquiries made in the 30 days prior to the loan application will not affect your credit score. And for inquiries found that are older than 30 days, depending on the FICO scoring model used, will only count as one inquiry if found within a 45-day window. So I would say you don't need to remember all of that because that's confusing, but really, you know, Yes, shop around. You don't want to just maybe go with the first place that you find, um, assuming they have your best interest in mind because of your credit score. You want to see what else other people can can get you. And if you shop around within, you know, a thirty day time frame, um, and I think Jane, you maybe say typically like two weeks, just to be on the safe side, then then you're good to go. It's only going to count as one inquiry. Yeah, I'm just super conservative, I guess, in that that sense that. I want to make sure that their reporting dates are, you know, be within the same cycle. Um, yes. <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. And really, the the point of this is that we don't want to, you know, maybe we get the bug in our ear that we do want to buy a new car. So we go out and we look at stuff and the car salesman's like, well, let us just run your credit really quick. And you're like, uh, okay, I don't know how to tell you no because you're really pushy. And so we do it. You're not really ready to buy that car yet. You know, you let a month or two go by, you do it again, and it's this this back and forth situation. And by the time you actually go to buy the car, you know, you have all these inquiries and, um, and you know, little score drops here and there that really were unnecessary. So it's really important to do your education first. You know, pull your credit report on your own. 
Um, if you want to see your score, there are different ways we can pull our score from a reliable source before we go to you know, our lenders and our dealers who are going to have that hard inquiry. The one really good resource that I really like to use is through MyFICO. Um, it does charge you a fee, but it's going to give you several different resources that are going to give you an advantage when we're trying to make a big purchase. Yeah, I think that's great. And I definitely want to stress this basically helps you rate shop, but it's still important to be focused. So, you know, it's not just kind of, I'm going to apply for all these things whenever I want, however I want, which you can, but your score is going to take that into account. And so if, you're, if you've got the itch to buy a car, definitely like Jane, you mentioned, you know, do some research ahead of time and then know that you have a little bit of leeway to go shop around um, and not be dinged for it. Yep, for sure. We mentioned the MyFICO tool that you can pay to use. What are some other reliable sources where people can check their actual credit score? With technology these days, you know, consumers can access their credit scores through a lot of different places. A lot of times banks or credit card companies provide free scores as well as, you know, apps and credit education websites such as, you know, Credit Karma or Credit Sesame. Something to be aware of when you're checking your credit through those places is that it's typically an educational score. So it could be different than what a lender is seeing. I would say it still gives you an idea of the range that you're in, but don't hold it as like, wow, this is my score. And so this is what the lender is going to see. That's not necessarily the case. Your score varies depending on the credit bureau that the lender is looking at and the product you're applying for and the type of risk that they're trying to assess. Yeah. So let's talk about all these algorithms, because I think that's something that isn't really commonly understood that why is my score different from various places? And I know, you know, when we use the MyFICO tool, it gives us a good seven to 10 different scores, I think it is, based off of, you know, the type of loan, which version they're using, the newest version. Walk us through what that looks like. So like I mentioned, so this, this applies to FICO scores, um, mostly not Vantage scores. And just to make everyone aware, um, Credit Karma, um, an educational credit app, uses a Vantage scoring model, which was created by the three credit bureaus about five years ago or so, um, basically just to offer consumers another way to score themselves. But that's just something to be aware of that if you're, if you're using Credit Karma, it's a Vantage score and Vantage scores are really not used in lending decisions yet. Um, but with FICO, they have hundreds of different models of FICO scoring, and it's just going to depend on what product you're applying for and then what credit bureau that lender is using. So let's say you go apply for a home. Most mortgage lenders use, I think, like a FICO score two, which I think is one of the older ones. And they will potentially do a, a poll from all three and then merge them together and maybe take the average. So it might differ between TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. So again, I, I think it's really great that we have all this access to you know, credit scores. Like People have it at their fingertips where they're able to just check their credit karma on their phone and they see that oh, they had a 10-point drop. And, and I used to have a lot of clients that would really stress out every time their credit score would change, you know, even just the slightest bit. And I think that, again, it's great to be super in tune with your credit score, but also know that your credit score is constantly fluctuating depending on what's going on with your credit. 
so it's not it's it's maybe not necessary to completely obsess over the exact score that you have because it fluctuates and it's an educational score that you're looking. So why would it be different between one credit bureau to the other? In terms of the credit bureau, it might differ because you maybe have different accounts on different credit bureaus. So you might be thinking, well, no, um, all of my accounts report all three of the credit bureaus. And most of the time that's the case, but sometimes it's not. It's the, the Fair Credit Reporting Act requires that if creditors do report to the credit bureaus, that they report in a certain way, but it doesn't require them to report to all three or require them to report at all. Yeah. So something that, especially in you know, kind of our underserved populations, is they might get a form of credit that they think is really going to help them, but then they find out down the road that they weren't being reported at all. And so, you know, they have nothing. So we want to make sure, you know, if you are starting to build your credit, make sure that whatever credit product you're using, they are going to actually report it. Yeah. That can benefit you. The other thing that we're starting to see now is the products like Experian Boost, where they're going to use maybe your utilities or your cell phone, which traditionally are not reported on your credit unless you haven't been paying them and then they're going to negatively report on your credit. Yes. Um, right. You know, so there are some some cool strides that are coming up um, to help with that. But yeah, I mean, you never know exactly what's going to be on which credit report unless you pull it and you know who's reporting to who. Yeah, and I think it's great that there's so many different options. Of I think it's good that credit bureaus and credit scoring agencies are kind of understanding that there's a lot of people that are credit invisible because they don't have a credit product or, or maybe even access to an affordable product. And so how could they, they still have good positive payment behaviors, but those aren't being reported to their credit report because it's maybe on a cell phone or maybe their utility bill, like you mentioned, or their rent. They don't have a mortgage. Rent doesn't get reported to credit bureaus typically. But now with different kinds of scoring models, they're now taking into account that alternative data that can help people build credit scores, which is great. I think it's really, I think it's nice to give people options. Something you definitely want to make sure that you're going to be able to pay on time or else you, that could end up hurting your credit. <laughs> One of our biggest things that we try to do is let our credit cards help us. So we are all about using credit cards that give us points and give us ability to use those points for our benefit. So we like to use it for travel or for special occasions, things that are going on. And our different cards are a big help uh, with just giving us opportunities to get different things that we're after. Yeah, I, I hear you on that. And that was something that I really didn't, I, I think it was, you know, our beliefs and the way we were raised around money can really um, affect our money habits, you know, in the present. And I think just kind of the way I grew up, I just always saw credit cards as like, no, I will never get a credit card <laughs> because that is horrible and people get into debt and it's like, why would I even do that? And through working with my clients, I was really opened up to seeing like, wow, I could actually really take advantage of this system and only use my credit card for the things that I know I definitely have money for and then get the points. And it's resulted in lots of free flights and um, money back, which is awesome. Yeah. When I was a teenager growing up, I got on my dad's um, gas 
credit card. So I'd just fill up every now and then, and it kind of started my credit. So I had no idea that I was on this. And when I got married, I thought I had nothing. And it turned out I went back to 2011, whenever, whenever my dad threw me on, 2010. And it was just my name on his account. So I was able to start getting a good credit score because my dad was on top of it and, and was, was sure to pay everything off. So yeah. it was kind of cool just to see how that worked for me. And also when I got home from my mission, I was at, gosh, I think it was Macy's. And I went with my friend and they said, do you want to open up a credit card? You can get this much off. And my friend's like, if you do that, my pants are like 10 bucks. You should do it. Yeah. Uh, okay, we'll do it. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I end up finding out months later that I had some draft or some over fee or I, I don't know. I I didn't pay attention to having it. And then I ended up canceling it. And Jane's been all over all the other credit cards ever since. <laughs> well, because we, like, when we were dating, I was like, you know what? You know, like we were reading the Dave Ramsey book and I was just getting into my program at school. And I was like, let's just not have credit. Let's not do debt. Like, um, because growing up, my parents filed for bankruptcy and it was a huge deal. Um, yeah. And, you know, that really influenced what I wanted to do. And we're talking one night and uh, Jake was like, oh, well, my dad called today and he said he made a credit card payment for me for a card I didn't know I had. <laughs> and that was the situation. I was like, well, there goes that plan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got to have credit now. I, I had no idea. I swear. I remember doing it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that stupid JCPenney person <laughs> talked me into getting a credit card. Yeah. yeah. Or mainly just my friend. Was with, yeah. yeah. And talk, talk about the credit industry being shady. I mean, um, you know, they used to allow credit card companies on college campuses um, to basically kind of prey on college students um, that didn't have money and didn't have, they just, they needed stuff. They needed to buy food even. Yeah. <laughs> and so they would oftentimes get you to sign up for a credit card with a free t-shirt or whatever. And finally, laws were put into place to not allow that because... Um, it was getting so intense that people were um, just racking up credit card bills they didn't know how to spend or didn't know how to pay them back. And um, it was creating a lot of depression and, and suicides, mm -hmm. which is sad. Yeah. So what would be your biggest tips and suggestions if you have you know, a young couple or even any couple really that might have different perspectives on credit and how to use it. You know, maybe one wants credit and one is totally opposed to it. How do we work through that communication and that relationship difference? Yeah, and it's probably not just credit. Oftentimes there's lots of personal finance issues that come up in relationships. Um, but in terms of credit, I I would just encourage, you know, you both to, or the, the people in the relationship to talk with a financial coach or counselor to have an intentional space to talk about money behaviors, your history and beliefs around money, and both your individual and joint financial goals and your values. So just because you're married doesn't mean that you can't have your own individual financial goals. It just really needs to be openly discussed, you know, stated, and really a plan that you're both on board with. I would say oftentimes discussing values and goals can be what guides the actions 
And it also can create an understanding as to why that other person might be approaching credit that certain way. So those are all things that as financial coaches and counselors, myself and, and you, Jane, that we would, you know, we'd work with you as a client. on. Yeah. I like to say we get paid to ask the awkward questions because <laughs> yeah, no one likes to ask those questions and uh, the deeper questions as, you know, why someone's doing something or why they believe it. So yeah, if that is, you know, a, a struggle point in your relationship and it's just going nowhere and it's not a good experience. Anytime you try talking about it, it might be time, um, you know, to ask a professional, one who has that fiduciary standard, someone who has your best interest, just to help guide the conversation, right? And see, um, you know, where you can go from there, for sure. Awesome. Thank you so much, Carly, for being with us. And for all of you listening, we're grateful you're here. We really enjoy doing these podcasts and want to reach out and branch out to as many people as possible. If you've enjoyed what we've shared today, be sure and subscribe and leave comments. Don't leave them to me because I have no idea about credit. We all know that. If you have any other questions, reach out to Jane on Instagram at Miss Jane Larson. We'll see you next week.